Igor Yablokov has made a name for himself in the world of voice recognition technology. His former company, Yap, was acquired by Amazon, and his technology was used to build Alexa. And before that, Igor was on the team that built IBM's Watson. Now, Igor is the CEO of a new company leading the way on a new frontier, augmented and artificial intelligence. His company, Prion, is helping to change the way people work through augmented technology. And on this episode of IT Visionaries, Igor explains how. Plus, he gives insights into his past, where he thinks the tech industry is headed in the future, and why he believes the world of augmented intelligence can have an impact on how we work and in our personal lives. Enjoy this conversation. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have on the other line, Igor, what's going on? Hey there, thanks for having me. Yeah, we are beyond excited to talk about all things voice, augmented intelligence, the early, early, early rumblings of Alexa, Echo, Fire TV, all that fun stuff, um, what you founded in Yap and what you're currently building a prion. But first, how did you get into technology? Well, I think when um, I immigrated here from Greece, um, when I was six years old, I just started gravitating towards those old uh, Radio Shack computers, those TRS-80 uh, green screens. Um, mathematics ended up being the universal language. And then once I got the hang of English, unfortunately, or fortunately, my mother moved us to Montreal and yet again, I, I landed somewhere where I, I didn't speak English and I gravitated towards, I'm sorry, uh, speak French at, at the time. And so I gravitated towards uh, computers. And so that's, uh, those were some of my uh, formative experiences with, uh, with computers. I had a little color computer at home uh, that I would type basic programs into and the tape drive never seemed to work. It kept eating my programs. But those were, you know, some of my earliest experiences with technology where um, I was a voracious reader of, of a lot of the industry news uh, that was prevalent back then, the PC magazines and, and, and everything else, you know, certainly looking up to folks like Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates and everything that they were accomplishing at, um, at the time. And um, th that's, that's uh, my first forays in, in technology. Flash forward to now, why did you start building Prion? Great question. I don't like the way that we work. And I had expected Amazon, Google, and others to have solved uh, these problems uh, by now, and they haven't. When you look at most of the interfaces that we use to interact with travel and expense, procurement, CRM, ERP, all of these different um, uh, systems that are prevalent in the, in the working world, for whatever reason, nobody's, nobody's gotten uh, through their heads that instead of humans having to learn how to use these systems, we have to conform to the ways that, that uh, humans are, are naturally gifted in interacting, and that's through natural language. And so while 
you know, Amazon, Google, Apple, and others have been doing a great job in the consumer space that hasn't been translating to our, our working life. And so I decided to, you know, go take another run at this. Yeah. And what do you mean by that? Like consumer is doing great, but on the business side, uh, the technology isn't quite there. Well, you know, in our homes, we can now yell and, and uh, music plays and light bulbs turn and uh, turn on and off and thermostats get get changed. People can turn on sprinklers and, and uh, order diapers. Most of us buy into a particular ecosystem, whether it's Samsung's or Apple's or Google's or, or, or whatnot, and gain that experience. The problem at work uh, is the fact that most large scale enterprises, even to create a single document, you know, so imagine the billing statements that we get as PDF or as paper printouts delivered every month. It becomes this this um, monster of uh, of integrations in order to perform any sort of work. And so that's uh, what we set out to solve. And so, what was kind of your logical conclusion to this? Was that you know. Humans needed to be augmented. Machines were really good at doing that. But what was the, the how do you get there? Well, I think it's turning, uh, turning things around. Humans are basically have the same capabilities uh, today as we had 100,000 years ago. But in the last 10, 20, 30 years, we now have um, you know, more AI-centric tools where, where machines can start conforming to the way that humans uh, you know, think and, and experience things. And so... Humans don't have to do anything differently. They can just have a natural language interaction with these machines. Whereas, you know, if you think 50 years ago, a small subset of us, you know, learn how to communicate as machines, right? The ones and zeros and punch cards and computer programs, mathematics and everything else. But now we can turn that around and say, just type in a natural language command or say something and the machine should be able to uh, execute a vast array of, of instructions in order to allow you to access information, perform uh, some workflow, or, you know, help you with decision support. So you've, you've written in the past about how, you know, the human brain is extraordinary. You know, it's something we talk about a lot at the mission. It's, you know, it's the most powerful piece of technology in the world. And, uh, you know, stories are a way that we use to um, remember things that are hardwired into that. And, AI can automate and it can augment. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen that you're really excited about that your early customers are doing with augmented intelligence to enhance what humans on their team are building? Automation is, um, I think, farther out, right? If you, if you listen to the Uber CEO, he talks about self-driving cars being something that's 15 years still out, if we were really honest about it. This is where we're moving our truck drivers, our pilots, our, our, our doctors, our lawyers, and things like that. You can ask Boeing how well uh, that's going for them in terms of second-guessing a, a pilot's intuition in these, in these particular scenarios. With respect to augmented intelligence, this basically says we're still at the center of work, right? We're, we're creativity lies where we're, um, you know, the decision prowess lies and where we can jump to intuitive leaps a lot better than these machines. But guess what? I don't need to sear in my brain, my calendar for the next 12 months. It's nice to have a tool where that can be re recorded in there. And that's an augmentation of my intelligence in some form or fashion. And so 
you know, email is just that, right? Instead of writing one communication at a time, we can go ahead and, and, um, and, and process a lot more fragmented information. And so that's, that's going to come with uh, these new style uh, tools as well. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, and Salesforce is our, is our sponsor, but it's like the whole, you know, the CRM piece of like, Hey, a salesperson can't remember every single one of their accounts. So we should have a CRM that does that. But then you have the next phases of that, which is like, you also don't want know when people are opening your emails. You also don't know when, you know, that person is mentioned in the news. You also don't know when other people in the organization are, you know, downloading things. Like you just go on and on and on to leverage all of these different data points. But ultimately it goes back again to, you know, in this case, the sales rep who now has all of that intelligence that they can go into the next conversation with all of those things so that they can help someone make the right decision. I, like that's the stuff that I think is so exciting. And I think it's the thing that we sometimes forget with technology is that ultimately like it's empowering someone else to do something. So actually you, you bring up an interesting point with respect to CRM and other, um, other, other similar applications. You know, I'm reminded of that scene in, in the matrix where, where uh, there was a realization that there is no spoon. And so conceptually is CRM obsolete. And, and so here's, here's the thought experiment around that. If I asked you, if I, if I asked you what's the most important um, client of yours this quarter, if I asked you whether Bob called, uh, ABC Corp uh, last week, these answers immediately popped in your head. And yet, you know, nobody sold you a CRM license inside of your head, right? These are all stored in, in an unstructured format inside of your, um, inside, inside of your capability. And you're able to recall that information. And now just imagine a vast mesh of, of every employee in the company that has that knowledge inside of their heads. Most people don't like, um, you know, sitting in front of these systems and having to input all of these uh, records into the system. And so I'm fascinated, you know, conceptually whether that, that system of record even ever needs to exist at all. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. So I, and again, this is, you know, Salesforce is our sponsor um, and we love them. And it's funny to take this, you know, down that rabbit hole, you know, Chad, our CEO, never logs in right? Like he literally never needs to log in ever because all of the stuff is sucked out of his email inbox, all mm -hmm. of the things, the conversations that he has, all of that stuff. So it's, what's so funny is that I take insights off of who he's interviewing, who's he talking to, you know, different sort of things, the producers of our shows, all of that stuff. It is a really interesting concept of like how that plays into like how that stuff is recorded, analyzed, and then insights are drawn from it where it's like, I can get insights on on like, hey, you know, like, do you know that Chad talked to this person at this company today? Like, I, I just think that so much stuff like that is like, we are on the very, very beginning of even getting those type of insights going forward where it's really, really useful in real time, in the moment, all that sort of stuff. I'm curious, I mean, you know, with, with what you're building and then also with what you've done in the past with voice, all of those conversations that are happening, you know, in the air that are not being recorded that, I mean, that seems like another massive opportunity. But yeah, I mean, but that's how people used to work in the fifties and sixties and seventies, right? They didn't have computers, right? So they talked to each other. Hey, Bob, I need you to do this. Hey, Alice, I need you to do that. Hey, you know, who's, who's the next person that needs to do X, Y, and Z. And then that was the way that we tasked each other, right? We learned how to speak 
you know, from the outset. Now, voice is just one way, right? One modality. If you, if, if you look at some of the original research that I was doing even before I started my last company, it was around multimodal interaction, right? Let's use the best modality. Sometimes it's visual, sometimes it's voice, sometimes it's, it's this, sometimes it's that gesture recognition and, and some of these other things that are still coming. Um, because language has, um, you know, we talk about body language and things of that sort. It's a multi-sensory experience whenever we communicate. And so those are, all, all of those subtleties get get fused together, and that's um, you know how you'll you'll be communicating with these machines in the future. So, what are some of those things that your customers are doing now? What are some of those insights that they're getting working with you all? Yeah, it's it's a myriad of uh, different use cases. If you look at what you know, how people are going to be leveraging augmented intelligence, it's it's uh, you know how do you. Uh, orient new employees, right? Uh, a mess of unstructured information is uh, needs to be brought to bear in order to train uh, these folks. All of the contact center experiences, um, all of the experiences whenever you know clients and customers reach their website or, or applications, right? There's so much that's unstructured and has no uh, no concrete form or system or record, you know that that it can connect to. It's all of those types of experiences uh, th- that we're looking at aiding them. And there's very, very uh, real business cases associated with that. So I, I want to know, I want to take a step back and look at like the market. You know, it was recently said that the market for aug- augmentation technologies is reported to be about 1.72 trillion by uh, 2022. You know, again, we we said this before. It's not limitless, but uh, that's as big as as big as it could be. I'm curious, where do you feel like we're at in the augmented intelligence uh, kind of marketplace right now, especially with business? Uh, I think everybody's still playing with blocks. I mean, literally, like in nursery school blocks. It's you know, it, it, Bezos talks about this, right? First inning, first pitch, right? So this this stuff is very early in the adoption curve. Uh, there's going to be a lot of experimentation. There's going to be a lot of vendors. Um, we, it, it, it's not something that you can just pick off. I mean, a lot of the folks that, um, that we have on staff have been doing this for 10, 20, 30, 40 years in some cases, you know, and you have to take a multidisciplinary approach. So lots of opportunity. Um, some, some, um, you know, consumer entities are going to be able to, you know, project their wares into the enterprise, but not many, right? Because there is a backlash against them. Some enterprise software companies are going to be able to pivot uh, to this if they know how to cannibalize themselves, but not many. But there's going to be, you know, a dozen net new companies that are purpose built for the future of work. And, um, you know, our backers are, are made the bet that we're going to be one of them. Recent reports have talked about how AI can increase productivity by, you know, 40% or, you know, and then 42% of execs think that AI will be, you know, critically important within two years. Seems like those are really low. You know, what, what do you think in terms of the executive leaders, the CIOs, the CTOs, you know, when we look back on this 10 years from now or, or longer, um, how do you think we're going to look back and, and see you know, augmented intelligence. All right. Well, how about this? Let's, let's run through a sample scenario. Pretend you're Baskin Robbins. All right. And with the power of natural language, I'm going to ask a question. How many ice cream cones did we sell when it was 73 degrees out? 
right? Within a decade, probably less than that in, in, in a half decade or less. Yeah. Somebody's going to be able to say that snap their fingers and the answer appears. Now I want them to take in 2019 with 2019 era technology. And I don't care what analytics tools they have and what ERP and financial systems and everything else. I challenge any one of you to, to tell me how fast they can return that result back. I guarantee you it's not sub-second response to that answer, but that's coming. You know, that's what we're working on. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated with instantaneous answers to my question. That's why the last company was started. And that's why this company was started as well. You know, the last one, it was things like, why is the sky blue? Very abstract. I want an answer. I'm curious about the world uh, around us, you know, ask about the weather, you know, ask for music to play, look up a video, um, you know, buy something. Those are all the things that were, you know, part of our, our vision for the last company in this one. It's all the stuff that we typically do at work. And, and uh, I don't know how those other companies are deriving their revenue, but the fact that none of them can, can answer those style of questions means there's, there's going to be some turbulence ahead and, and some uh, the musical chairs are about to change on everybody. Yeah. Well, I want to get into uh, to why you founded Yap. So w- what was the difference first time versus, versus this time? What, were you, what was kind of the problem set then? It's actually the same thing. You know, was the code name of the engine that became the nucleus for Alexa. So that code name was, uh, uh, was something our research team came up with last time. And the reason why the last company was founded is because in 2003, I had an idea for, Hey, we're doing this joint work with Toshiba and Sony on this thing called a PlayStation at IBM. Let's put a microphone on it. And people laughed that there's no way that anybody would put a microphone in their house. Then the following year, you know, our team had an idea, Hey, it's too cumbersome to deploy speech recognition inside of uh, banks and airlines and, and similar clients. Why don't we create a hosted version of it also known as cloud? And everybody laughed and said, there's no way that customers would allow their customer details to leave their firewalls, to leave their data centers. And then the following year, we said, hey, if we had this cloud-based version of speech recognition, not only could we return transcripts back, but uh, we can also send back answers, honest-to-goodness answers to these uh, questions. And by then, people were rolling on the floor laughing. In that frustration, not being able to get it through the Investment Review Board you know, three years in a row, uh, I ended up departing in 2006, and we created... Uh, the Yap company. So by the following year, we had uh, prototyped speech recognition in um, in an early iPhone. So while we were on the stage at TechCrunch revealing a baby version of Alexa on a on um, a Motorola Razor phone, if if everybody remembers those flip phones. Oh yeah. In the labs with Apple, they uh, before they acquired Siri, they were already trialing out uh, you know AI and speech recognition services. So that's, uh, that's how early, you know, we were thinking about, you know, doing cloud-based AI and, um, and uh, these AI assistants. Nobody really knew why they would talk to um, such a thing. And so we kept it as a skunk's work uh, program. And that's what uh, Amazon, you know, acquired from us uh, five years later. Yeah. And so what was that process like? Was it something where, you know, you were happy to sell the company? Was it giving away your baby? Were you, did you expect to be working on that forever? Well, I'm still working on it forever. <laughs> so nothing really changed. This is the brand name changed. So I was working on it at IBM. 
Um, and uh, the first time I ever encountered speech recognition and it blew me away, I was still uh, in undergraduate. I think it was in 1996 when um, IBM was giving away via voice as part of its OS2 warp uh, package. And it was just amazing, right? To talk, you know, to your PC and it do things. At that point, I think it was uh, uh, navigation and lightweight di dictation. It's such a thrill that the senior uh, leaders that worked on that are now in this company. I mean, it's, it's, it's surreal, absolutely surreal because of, uh, you know, certainly how much I looked up to them back then and, and even now. And um, with Yap, we started, uh, you know, working on it for consumers and then pivoted, you know, towards enterprise use. We had dozens of enterprise and carrier customers, including Microsoft uh, and Sprint. And then uh, post-acquisition, Amazon pivoted this into um, consumer use. I don't think we we're ready to be acquired, but it was uh, the reality of where that technology needed to go required deeper pockets uh, to push it forward to the scale that only uh, an Apple and Amazon or Google, you know, could handle. And so that, that made sense um, at the time. And I'm not sure how they discovered us. It could have been where, where we wrote our own hybrid cloud and we started getting such an increase in volumes, you know, from our carrier customers that, you know, a couple hours a day during our busy hours, we would blip into something that was new back then called AWS. And maybe they were, they were looking at those heuristics. Um, you know, we had a choice. Wait, you were running on AWS? We were running in our own data centers. So we had a couple data centers, but we could never keep up with, uh, with the amount of transactions that were starting to hit us during peak hours, right, which is in the morning and, and during rush hour when people were headed home. And so our head of engineering decided to uh, move some of our speech recognition into AWS. This was in the 2010 timeframe. So I think we were the first ones ever to, to try hybrid cloud at the time and we wrote our own routines for that. And so maybe they, That's crazy. Maybe they witnessed that. What did that monitoring look like? Like, like when you were seeing things that were happening at that time, how many people were you reaching? Uh, but almost um, at last count, we had intercepted almost 50 million unique American voices. Was that like, so when Amazon came to you and said that they were interested, what was that, what was that like? Was it, were they blown away by your success so far? Was it blown away by the tech, bit of both? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we were the first, um, I think they decided to get into AI in a major way and we were their first ever acquisition in that. So our team was also approached by Google uh, and we we're in discussions with Apple, with Nuance, with IBM, with Microsoft. And, um, you know, in, in talking to our R&D team, they wanted to go somewhere where it was essentially a blank slate and they were really excited to go uh, into a welcoming environment where, where they had an opportunity to, you know, to set a strategy and, and um, so that their leadership was obvious. So do you think now that the market has, you know, the consumer market has become so much more advanced that people are just more ready for it now? Like, do you think that people just kind of weren't really ready for it back then or, or are people still not ready for it? I wouldn't necessarily call the consumer space um, uh, that advanced. I mean, we've all talked to Siri and Alexa and the Facebook portal and, and uh, even Google home and, and uh, we don't get the right results back and it doesn't trigger the right light bulbs. It doesn't turn the temperature properly. And we have to give the equivalent of verbal DOS commands. 
And so there's a lot of work to be done. And so there's lifetime employment if you're an AI person. There's lifetime employment for you, whether you're you know, working consumer problems or you're working uh, business problems. And it's, it's you know, certainly going to be something that's going to change the, the human experience, if you will, but there's a lot still that needs to be done. I love that, human DOS commands. Um, is that your invention? That's a great, I love Yeah, it's, it's command lines, right? If you don't say it quite right, it doesn't work. You know, set the temperature to this. Oh no, you didn't say the room, the room correctly. So if you don't get it quite right, and I don't know why, it's like, I'm in the bloody room. Turn the lights on here. <laughs> it doesn't even know the concept of here, right? And yet, I mean, there is a basic uh, enhancement to uh, uh, an AI assistant they can tell which one I'm closest to. Yeah. And yet I can't just say, turn the lights on here. It, it has no concept of, of place. So there's so many little things like that that still need to be uh, deployed. It's, it's just amazing. You wrote an article about immigrants are key to winning the AI arms race. I'm curious, like what, what were your thoughts writing that and, and why you decided to, uh, to share that with the world? So it's, um, diversity is a strength, not a weakness. You need people to come from, you know, the four corners of the globe that are all, you know, multicultural, educated in different environments, and they come here to do their work and, and uh, reinforce each other. Um, certainly that's what happens inside of machines, and that's what should happen inside of societies as well. So that was always a strength of, um, uh, of our nation. And so I don't even know why it's necessary for people like me to write articles like that when it was obvious to our parents and grandparents and great grandparents, you know, who, uh, you know, helped build, um, uh, build this country up. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is obviously, but I think that there's, I think that the, the obvious thing that people really miss is like that opportunity always starts from places where there's necessity. And I think that, that's one of the things that people don't necessarily kind of realize all the time. You know, we had, we had, uh, on, on mission daily, we had, um, Nitin, the, the founder of unshackled ventures and they, they help immigrant founders, um, you know, here in the U S and, uh, yeah, they call it, you know, that adversity muscle or grit or whatever you want to call it. Um, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you've gone through something that's slightly harder than your peers, um, you're probably going to be slightly better. You're going to be slightly more attuned. You're going to be, uh, you know, doing those things. And if you've, it's just kind of, kind of obvious, but I think that it's an interesting point around AI specifically because of the different pieces that go into building a tool for the world. I think that that's the other thing of like, if you're building a tool that, you know, is just for, you know, people who live in Cincinnati, you know, maybe it, is beneficial to just be from Cincinnati, but if you're building a tool for the world, then it seems like it's a pretty obvious, uh, captain obvious thing to have people from well, the world contribute. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, every, every two to four years, certain politicians get up on a soapbox and they whine about some disconnect in order to froth up, you know, the business community to support them. Right. Oh my God, we need more people to, you know, go into STEM careers. Okay, then why did you drop the uh, the uh, corporate income tax so low? You could have increased it by an extra one percent, taken that one percent, and turned it into an evergreen scholarship fund. And any American citizen post you know high school that wants to enter and and become a biologist, a chemist, 
mathematician, computer scientist, physicist, anything, they get a full ride to university. The end, done. Now you solved your capacity problem if you're trying to have uh, native born or, you know, citizenry that's now, you know, attuned to the future needs of, of um, you know, American competitiveness. They complain about these things and yet they don't, they don't actually go out and, and solve it in a material and macro uh, way when they have exert that level of uh, influence. Uh, one of the statistics that was shared by um, uh, a friend of mine, Scott Moody, who sold his company to Apple that did the fingerprint uh, sensor. He now has a new uh, healthcare uh, AI company called uh, K4 Connect. But if you look at the S&P 500 since its founding in, in the 1960s, probably four-fifths of that, 80, was it 80% or 87% of those companies that were in the original S&P 500 went out of business. Guess what they were replaced by? Startups. And half of those startups were, were started by immigrant uh, founders. You want jobs and taxes, guess what? Don't lock people out from coming here and, and creating jobs and paying taxes. The end. Well, and I think, you know, to the point about AI, which is with voice, with multimodal, with all these sort of things, there's, there's a million cultural idiosyncrasies that will be part of this. And I think it's really important to build build with all of that stuff in mind. Have you found any type of insights or lessons from, you know, having 50 million uh, voice conversations, uh, you know, early days of Yap or, or what you're working on now that is certain things that are like particularly interesting to you or, or maybe surprising that you found? No, because we didn't look at those. Uh, was that a trick question? We didn't know what people were saying. Okay. Unlike most of these cats that now go on stage and talk about, well, privacy is this new thing that we need to be worried about. Well, we were worried about that in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. We were the only fully automated platform when everybody else that we were competing with was driving uh, speech recognition through human corrections. So they had contact centers in the in the Philippines, throughout the Middle East and India, Pakistan, and all of these other places in order to correct, you know, voicemails and messages and other, and other types of um, uh, use cases. I looked at my R&D team and I said, you know what? We're going to be fully automated. It's going to assure uh, security. It's going to give us scale, you know, and we're going to make it as accurate as we can. And that's the type of team that we built. Had I ever asked for people's private uh, information, you know, similar to this God mode that seems to exist with uh, certain ride sharing companies or certain social media companies, my team would have resigned because that's not what they signed up for. So I don't know. I don't know what people were saying and I shouldn't know. It's not my life. It's theirs. That was a bit of a leading question, admittedly. But uh, I, so I'm curious then, how do you think, you know, with search, for example, Obviously, so much happens via ad-based. I'm curious from a business model perspective, what are the things that you find really interesting of, of the ways that voice will break the mold? Or is it just going to be ad service? Yeah. You know, Bradley Tusk uh, recently asked me the same question. We're not going to do ads because the minute you do ads, you end up turning into a voyeur. You're trying to understand 
you know, are you a soccer mom? What's your sexual orientation? What's your buying patterns? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you, you know, do you vote Republican or Democrat? Are you an independent? What's your shoe size? Everything. No, I think we're going to provide value to you. You're going to interact with us. We're going to be accurate. We're going to be secure. And I don't really care about your personal life. I don't want to know. You're going to pay us a fair amount to, you know, so that we can operate this platform. And this is why, you know, in many cases, I'm, I'm excited about enterprise uses of these technologies because I, I think it's just a cleaner way of doing business. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's potentially innovation on the consumer side where, where maybe they'll start realizing that some of us are willing to pay a monthly fee for this stuff and just, you know, get to, I guess, a purer way of, of delivering services to folks. It doesn't have to be about having 5 billion people when 100 million people love your product and they're willing to pay for it. And they want their lives back. Well, and I think, and I want to go down the, the the rabbit hole on the on the B2B piece because I think that that's just so fascinating that providing this thing as a service to company X, um, you know, to, to, to the previous example, to Baskin Robbins. Well, if Baskin Robbins, you know, purchases your product and then every Baskin Robbins user can use this technology, um, it becomes a clear differentiator for Baskin Robbins compared to, you know, the other consumer-based things out there. Is that right, or is that what? What are the other potential, you know, ways that that well, is a differentiator? Well, look, I mean, here here's the analog, right? Why do people use Slack? Why don't they text each other on iMessage? You know, for work interactions. Why do they use Microsoft Teams? Right? Why do they use, uh, you know, Yammer and these style technologies? Well, because using that enterprise messaging platform, Symphony is another example that grew out of the financial services. You have, you know, certain integrations that are important. You have an authentication model, a security model, um, and it's, it's a walled garden of sorts, you know, for data loss prevention. Um, so these two experiences, the consumer one, that's iMessage, people's text, uh, people's Facebook messaging, run in parallel to their work experiences. The same thing is going to happen with AI. You're going to have you know, an, an AI that knows you at home, and then you're going to have an AI that knows you at work. We're the ones building the one, uh, the one at work. At the same time, I didn't want it to see, my last comment to seem unfair. There's a lot of things that the consumer AI companies have done phenomenally well. Right. I, I don't know how many uh, folks I've met that were positively impacted by it. Right. So from an accessibility standpoint, the fact that they're able to democratize and lower the cost for something that was only um, available to, you know, the most rarefied of enterprise environments. Now, you know, you know, grandparents can use it and, and folks with disabilities could use it. And now children can learn, you know, how to speak and, and read with these devices as well. So there's a lot of good that comes from it. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to always work to, you know, chisel, chisel away the, the negative factors of, of these technologies while accentuating the positives. Yeah, no. And I think ad supported, I mean, like, you know, there's all sorts of stats that show, uh, you know, there's one recently that Tim Ferriss did about his podcast that 93% of people don't care that his show has ads and actually tend to prefer it because they find out of new products and services. I mean, I think that the whole like, you know, it's is ad supported evil thing is like vastly overblown. Um, and I don't think, you know, you were coming off that way. I think that there is 
obviously tons of room in the market for innovative ways to do to do that stuff. Uh, and it's not just going to be one way that wins. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I mean, it, it just you know it just has to be responsible parties. And by the way, A/B testing against teenagers to give half of them ha- uh, happy news and and half of them sad news is probably not a good use of your power, your powers, right? We can all agree to that. That was, uh, you know, failed, a failed experiment, but there are responsible ways. Hell, even, even the concept of AdWords, that was the right approach to, to an internet full of uh, banner ads, right? Especially on low bandwidth connections. And as a result, it provided the resources uh, for Google to grow. And that was a, that allowed them to be fed and grow while at the same time not to uh, put a burden on uh, end users and a cognitive burden as well. So that was, you know, that's an example of a nice solution. You know, one of your investors includes um, Rise of the Rest Seed Fund. You know, Steve Case has, has talked about, you know, the third wave of technology and obviously is extremely passionate about innovation. I'm just curious, you know, what it's like working with him and, and that organization um, and why you ultimately decided to go with them. Now, well, that there's a perfect example of somebody <laughs> that I looked up to as a kid, right? How prescient was he where we're combining networks and access together with content is the winning formula. And that's literally what Apple and Google and Amazon and AT&T and, and so on and so forth are all uh, Verizon and the rest of them are all battling for. So he had the playbook early uh, in terms of how all of this stuff would shake out. So uh, just an amazing intellect. And and with um, with the third wave, obviously he's talking about this coming to more traditional industries. And so that's exciting, right? So it's now leaving the, the, you know, the IT department, which is what the original triggers were towards this form of information age, um, you know, redevelopment to the truck drivers and the pilots and, and everybody in between. And so that's, what's exciting about, uh, about the third wave. At the same time, he also talks about, hey, you know what? We need genetic diversity in, um, in the companies that get formed because we need more equal distribution of, of AI companies being created and Internet of Things companies being created and healthcare IT companies being created, so on and so forth, because you know, there's lots of things that got invented uh, that didn't come out of Silicon Valley. For instance, people are really surprised about, you know, some of these AI assistant things that people take for granted that started in other parts of the country. And that's, you know, always a bit, uh, a bit of trivia uh, to them. And so I, I think that's, um, that's important. In the same way that we talk about the, the, the highest performing teams are very diverse. So for instance, in our, um, in our research and engineering team last time, we had what? Biologists musicians, physicists, mathematicians, obviously computer scientists, so on and so forth. Even Google, by the way, around the time that uh, we were going through our, through our M&A transaction, um, thought we were bluffing, that we didn't have what we had. That's crazy. Certainly in hindsight now, uh, even David, our chief technology officer, who was uh, a chief technology officer at IBM at the time, uh, Avaya was doing uh, diligence on becoming a customer or a platform last time. And, and even he was shaking his head saying, I don't even know how it's possible uh, that they have that because, you know, we've had dozens of people working that problem. 
Only later did I tell um, uh, did I tell him, listen, I had new types of people with different types of background looking at this problem, and we were able to unlock it. And and his vote of confidence is the fact that um, you know he was getting pitched to join a myriad of different companies, but this is uh, this is where he voted to join, and and he became our founding uh, uh, CTO. Any other fun stories from? Uh from early days, uh, from the Yap stuff or, or early days, uh, so far, Pran? Oh, so uh, goodness. Uh, the first time we ever tried talking into the Yap engine, um, because remember we were doing full, uh, full transcription where, where people can say anything that they wanted. Um, I think it took over an hour and the server crashed. Right. And so you're staring at that, um, uh, with, um, you know, with the color out of your face and saying, Oh my gosh, I hope we can, we get this to work. So it, you know, people, um, you know, people take risks to make these companies, but they're very intuition driven. And, um, it's these teams that frankly speaking, aren't even attracted to this. If, uh, if all of you think that people make companies to, you know, to create wealth, um, this is people's hobbies. You know, people are passionate about this style work. Nobody gets a PhD in, in this 10, 20, 30 years ago in order to drive certain uh, style of economics. It's a happy coincidence that th- this matters to the market. So there's a, a, a lot of stories, you know, about where this came from and, and where it's going, but um, it's, it's been an exciting journey uh, so far. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform from Salesforce. Go to salesforce.com slash employee experience to learn more about building an employee experience on the world's number one CRM. Lightning round questions. Igor, are you ready? Sure. Number one, what do you do for fun? Work. (laughs) What's your favorite thing in the Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte area, which I love, by the way. We have a presence out there for the mission. Uh, The Art Museum. Favorite podcast or recent book that you've listened to or read? Uh, J.D. Vance's uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? Uh, Talking to Prime. Oh. What thing are you most excited about going forward for the company? Just working with, uh, with great people and doing things that surprise even the most jaded of folks. Uh, for instance, Jim Breyer's a, a great VC, been there, done that. When we talked to Kleiner Perkins, been there, done that. And yet when people see what we're actually working on, um, their jaws drop and they have, ne- they have never seen it before, even though they probably get pitched you know, 10,000 different uh, business plans um, a year. That for me is a thrill. When, when, when I'm also surprised by other people's work, it's, it's what makes this industry just, um, uh, so amazing. Um, you know, when you meet those, those, uh, luminaries in, in our field, what's your best advice for a first time CEO? Uh, find, uh, a CEO who's not a first time CEO and, and get mentored by them. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant replace yourself. That's hilarious. Oh yeah. And get mentored by them. Yeah, of course. What was the, what was the big takeaways from, uh, from, from V1 to V2? Start, get the right team early, right? Get the right attorneys uh, that have been there, done that, and and uh, and know how to structure these things. Proper governance from the uh, from the get go. 
consume all of the things that your peers are creating, right? So one of the big things that's different from V1 to V2 is the fact that um, we have all of these next-gen business platforms that help us. Certainly, you know, you mentioned Salesforce. That didn't exist, you know, or it was the early days of it when, uh, when we were founded last time. But, you know, things like DocuSign, things like Dropbox, all of these things didn't exist in the, in the past. So there, it's just a lot of, you know, cap table management, you know, a lot of the financial control systems. Heck, the fact that you can do, um, you know, notarization over, over the internet, you know, booking travel and things of that sort, you know, it's, it's just so much easier to operate a company nowadays. Uh, again, because of all the great tools that these VCs around us have funded and, and other founders have, uh, have put to market. That's the rising tide, right? The, and, and we hope that we're, we're uh, a piece of, of allowing a next generation uh, founding team to um, create you know, something beneficial for all after us. Yeah, it's a huge advantage. I know you're, you know, you're involved with Techstars mm-hmm. and, and I know you mentor. Um, it's just a huge advantage to be really close to technology. That's why we try to bring a lot of startups onto IT Visionaries so that CIOs and CTOs and CDOs and stuff like that are just getting access to a lot more startups because there's just so much innovation happening at like the bleeding edge. And it's freaking hard to stay, you know, connected to it when you're trying to run a billion dollar, you know, business unit. Yeah. And, but we're expecting them to think faster, right? Because most of the brands that I just mentioned, ate into their enterprises at the work group level and they snuck up, right? It's the shadow IT stuff that, that we talk about. So, yeah, t- totally. you know, take control of your futures, be bold, you know, go in and say, Hey, it doesn't have to be perfect. I want to, you know, re-engineer my company before these things sneak up on you. Uh, and, um, and you don't get the credit for the work. I think, I think, um, I think people have permission to be bolder nowadays, uh, as far as, you know, being a 21st century CISO, CIO, so on and so forth. And, and uh, that's what the market's going to value going forward. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked? If I like technology or not. Do you? No. Why's that? My parents are both... My parents are both artists. Uh, the, if, if you think about when we're at our happiest... It's when we're not connected to things, right? When we're interacting with pets, interacting with uh, children, family members, you know, grandparents, all of those types of interactions are the things that we actually do remember. And so the secret to companies like mine and, and why we care about augmented intelligence and artificial intelligence is for the, these automata to help you know, get a lot of the busy work out of the way and handle these things so that we have more time for the things that actually will matter. And so that's, you know, certainly what my fixation is, is to have these things do more so that we can be ourselves again. Igor, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Any final thoughts? Um, we'll, we'll link up your uh, LinkedIn. We'll link up the company. Check out justprion.com. And uh, yeah, it's just been just been really, really insightful stuff. No, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Take care. Okay, bye. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. 
Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.